0: That that was going to be a great track. Guys, what's the deal? Uh, Are you sure that was sounding okay? I'll be honest, fellas, it was sounding great, but I could have used a little more
1: cowbell. And we're back in live. I'm Jimmy Krupka. This is Ski Racing This Week. From Ski Racing Media in Vail, Colorado, I'm Jimmy Krupka with these headlines. In the U.S., some skiers are attempting to reopen for the end of the season. Among those rumored to be opening soon are Timberline on Mount Hood and A Basin in Colorado. Per social media, the Swedes and Norwegians continue to train on snow, and there are indications that Central European teams are gearing up to return to snow soon as well. Lucas Broughton, the rising Norwegian star who was interviewed on this podcast a few weeks ago, has just posted his first vlog. This comes after a statement on this show that he wasn't sure, quote, that he wanted to be that vlogger kid. Look up All Caps Pin Hero, that's P-I-N-H-E-I-R-O to find his channel. I'm Jimmy Krupka, Ski Racing Media. Well, that was my that was my shot at being a newscaster. We'll see if they pick me up. We've got a great show for you this week. It's another deep dive. Todd Carroll, a man I would trust with my skis, and there aren't many of those people out there, is here to talk about the high fluoro wax band for the upcoming season. You heard that right. Either you know about it or you don't and you're shocked. Uh, he gives us the cold hard facts about fluoro and dispels a few waxing myths. Also gives us some advice about what to do with the band. And we take a call from an overly enthusiastic man from Sugarloaf, Maine. But first, let's read the mail. A Greg emailed me about the college ski racing episode Deep Dive I did a few weeks back. He agreed that college ski racing was the most fun he'd ever had racing, but he also latched on to what I said briefly about the 10,000-hour rule. He sent me this guide he wrote called Progression Ski Racing. Interesting stuff. The gist of it is 10,000 hours is a myth in some ways, not in others. And so the emphasis is less on time on snow, because most people have roughly the same, but an extremely purposeful, positive practice in order to take full advantage of every second going on the hill. I'm sure many of you agree with that. I got a message from a Charlie who said, quote, Have to be honest, when I heard your first episode, I was a little worried. Charlie, don't worry, I was too. But then he goes on to say that I am now crushing it. So, thank you, Charlie. ADL Ski Club said, great interview. Victor is one of their favorites on the tour. And Alex mentioned the idea of covering indoor skiing and on it being the future of the sport. Scary. But yes, I think we need to discuss that at one point. A Finnegan messaged me that he agrees with Muffin Jeans. We need video series. He suggested that we do some videos on the path to the World Cup with the US men's B team. Could be sick. I might have to make some of those. I truly appreciate all the honesty from everybody. Remember, send me grievances you have with the show. It's how I get better. Remember, ski racing this week at gmail.com or DM me on Instagram at jimmy underscore who underscore. You can send me nice things too. I don't mind those. Suggestions comments, whatever. All right, let's get these keys in the snow. Without further ado, Todd Carroll. Uh, Todd Carroll, he is the North American product manager for Wintersteiger, and he's previously worked as a technician at GMVS, uh, as a rep for Fisher, um, a rep for Rosniel, a technician for Star all in the past. Um, very experienced guy in the world of skis waxing teching all of that um, Todd great to have you
0: no thanks so much for having me on glad to be here
1: so um, I want to talk kind of about you know your background in skiing I kind of mentioned a lot of the stuff um, but you know how did you get into skiing in the first place ski racing uh,
0: I my parents started me skiing when I was two and a half and I had a buddy in elementary school who was part of the race program at Smuggler's Notch and so I got roped into that as a J5 with him and skied through first year of fist racing and as a weekend program athlete Mm -hmm. uh, was struggling to be at all competitive and Coached for my senior year in high school on the weekends and then ended up working at Dina Star right after that.
1: Uh huh. And what what kind of drew you about um, being a technician and, and, and working on skis? Uh, I mean, I think it was something as a
0: kid, as a racer, it was something that I could really try and knock out of the park. I was limited with how much training time I could put in being a full-time student in public school, uh-huh. and but I could work on my skis and really try and make sure that they were as good as they could be, and that opened the door to realizing that no matter how much I knew on any given day, there was always more, and yeah. I'm 20-some years later, and it's still the same thing.
1: That's cool. I like the way you put that. Well, our main topic today is Flora waxes, um, and we've got a lot to cover about them. You know how they've been limited and regulated, and and all this stuff. But before we get into all that, I want to just talk about what Flora wax actually does for your skis, like what the difference is between, you know, in Swix, like an HF versus a CH.
0: Okay, so the idea behind waxes in general are to help move or repel water, move water off your ski or repel water um to yeah. help with glide. And the varying chemical compositions used have different levels of effectiveness and typically speaking as you spend more money they become more hydrophobic. They repel water better. Mm-hmm. And so a CH hydrocarbon uh, wax is going to do a baseline job of repelling water. Mm-hmm. As you move through low fluoro into high fluoro and then into pure fluoro or 100% fluoros, um, you're going to increase the, the water repellency and, and theoretically increase your glide. Uh, in ahead. alpine skiing you need to have conditions that warrant uh, the the use of fluoro for it to be effective it's not mm-hmm. necessarily going to be you're not throwing out an anchor but you're not going to realize any benefit uh, and there's a sort of a matrix there, you know, in slalom, you need to have really wet snow as you move towards downhill, the friction that you're creating from going faster with more base material on the snow, you could theoretically have lower moisture content required before you saw a benefit from using a fluorinated wax.
1: Okay, so in, in uh, I guess in slalom, waxes don't make a huge difference because you spend so little time on your on your base. Um, but as you get to GS and then super G and downhill, um, even if the snow isn't that wet, having an HF wax, um, makes you faster. Could you, do you, can you, can you put a number on it? Is there any way to kind of say, you know, two of the exact same ski, one with, um, like a CH wax, one with a high fluoro HF wax, um, you know, on a, um, a minute and a half, uh, Downhill, what do you think?
0: Uh, I mean, I would say, based on some testing that we have done this winter, that it's small. Okay. Um, I mean, over a minute and a half, six, seven, eight percent really adds up. So uh, when you talk about it in terms of percentages, you're not seeing double digit. Um, you know, high single digits would be a lot. Um, okay. But when you you know if you talk about a World Cup downhill at two minutes and ten seconds, mm-hmm. uh, five six percent is I mean that really adds up.
1: Yeah, if that's a if that's a say you have a um, a one hundred second downhill five percent is going to be five seconds. So I mean, that's, that's, you're either in the race or or last place basically.
0: Right, Right. Okay. So it can it can make a huge difference. Again, it, you know the conditions need to be right, and we're assuming when we talk about that five percent or you know whatever the per, whatever the percentages really end up being, that we're that every other variable yeah. and there are so many that so every many other variable is exactly yeah. the same. Yeah. So.
1: Um, <laughs> you know, there's, I guess it varies and, and, and maybe in GS, it's not as big of a difference. And, and maybe in youth racing, it's not as big of a deal. Um, I know Norway banned, uh, the use of fluoros last year for anybody younger than U16s. Um, but so that kind of led paved the way for, um, you know, FIS FIS fully banning it for the 2021 season. Um, but before we get to that, um, you know, SWIX and TOCO ran into a problem with the, um, with, uh, with the EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency in the U.S., and they basically said any chemical, any ingredient in um, your bars of wax. The reason they targeted SWIX and TOCO was because they have the majority of the market, um, but every chemical had to be um, approved on the uh, Toxic Substance Control Act, the TSCA, and- TASCA
0: is is how it's referred to.
1: TASCA. Yeah. And so what do you know about that?
0: Uh, Well, I know that the EPA was born in the 70s and that the TASCA list was put together then. Basically, the concept with the TASCA list was they looked at everything that was out there when the list was created and said, well- the toothpaste is out of the tube. We're never going to get it back in. Mm-hmm. So if it's out there, it's going to be on our list. We're going to allow it.
1: Oh. So, ev- so anything before the task list was made was grandfathered in?
0: I mean, and I'm generalizing, but uh-huh. more or less, yes. Gotcha. Yes. Uh, which is why you saw uh, a year ago. Um, or 14 months ago, there were a couple, um, smaller wax companies that sell, uh, high fluoro concentration waxes Mm -hmm. that were at the very end of a very quick and painless, uh, task of compliance audit because they were using, when we talk now about, um, six chain and eight chain fluorocarbon molecules which is really where um, everything modern has landed mm-hmm. um, and they're both six chain is better for the environment for the most part than eight chain again, mm-hmm. I'm, so I'm not a scientist mm-hmm. um, I'm going off of all of the research That I've done, none of it is me as a primary source, but um, there are certainly six chain fluoros that can accumulate both in the environment Mm -hmm. and in the human body. Neither of which is good, Mm -hmm. um, but they are there. Less of them than there are eight chain fluoros that Mm -hmm. accumulate. Um, There's also correlation between the effectiveness in a skiing application 8-chain florals tend to be faster
1: okay so they're faster but they're worse for the environment the 8-chain ones and
0: the the person applying them Um, but you go even further with older stuff that's even nastier for the environment and nastier for the human body and that stuff was on the task list so it's good to go interesting but it's I think where you were going with all of this is the process became so difficult for a company like SWIX because they were so far down a path that the EPA came after them heavy, hard. Yeah. And said, we need to know every chemical that you're using, we need to trace it back to where it comes out of the earth or out of the lab where it's created.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And.
1: And that's difficult because, you know, um, I I read this article and, you know, they, you know, Swix isn't making every one of their chemicals. They're getting, so for instance, they get their red dye from an Italian company and their red dye is only 0.001% of their product. It's like, you know, it's what marks their CH8 as red, as, you know, red, you know, you know, red is the, is the mid wax. Anyway, that company has 19 ingredients for their red dye. So then- Swix slash Toco in turn has to go to the Italian company and get every one of those nineteen ingredients and bring them back to the EPA and make sure they're not they're they're um, okay under the Tasca list. Um, So basically, it's taking Swix and Toco. This whole thing with the EPA started like two years ago, and it's taken them the past two years to slowly start getting everything approved again. But I think it has starting started to get approved. And they're starting to work out of their what they're like eight chain fluoros. They're they're fluoros that are worse for the environment and working for better ones for the environment. Um, but now the um, FIS has banned um, floor like all fluoros, I guess, starting in the 2021 season. So starting in the season coming up. Is, is that right? Do you know anything about that? Yes. And I, and I think that what we're talking about, uh, having been trying recently to pin down
0: what is the testing and enforcement look like for yeah. that. And I think that, um, uh, it's probably like a, like a dramatic rule change for equipment that say we saw it for, um, 13-14 with 35, 35 meters. Yeah. That it that there's gonna be a graduated introduction.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um there's a number of of practical challenges to enforcement. Um I mean there are plenty of smaller bodies uh, like EISA scheme that have yeah. had a multi-year ban on fluoros for their Nordic racing. Um born from wanting to do either do the right thing for the health and safety of the athletes, coaches and environment mm-hmm. um, or leveling the playing field in terms of the cost associated with using high fluoros. Um, they, you know, the Norwegian ski federation has had a, a junior um, ban, I yeah. believe in all events, uh, yeah. Alpine, Nordic, everything in between. For um fluoros for a year, maybe two seasons
2: now, mm-hmm.
0: and I don't know that there is any testing that's happening. I think it's more of an honor system, huh. uh, or a you know, enforcement by way of uh, people policing themselves, yeah, and holding themselves to a, a, a high standard. Gotcha. Um, uh, I'm sure that the technology exists for fist to do small-scale testing at uh, the finish At like of World Cups, yeah. Yeah, I yeah. mean, there's plenty of questions that arise from that. You know, barring yeah. equipment rule changes, if we roll into a new season with old skis, and the only thing that's changed is now you can't use florals. Well, what's our threshold for testing? Yeah. Do we have any any forgiveness or any wiggle room based on the idea that florals were legal the year before?
1: Yeah, because I'm I'm curious about this because a ski can really um, hold. You know, it, it really holds the wax that you've put into it from you know uh, months past and years past and. And what if you, you know, the night before you waxed it without floros, but it's been waxed its entire lifetime with floros? Would it potentially be tested positive?
0: I uh, sure potentially, yeah. yeah. I mean, again, I'm not a, I'm not an, a, an expert in the process there. Yeah. But I have to imagine that that's uh that there's residual. Um,
2: there's got
1: to be, yeah. So. I mean, I've heard from ski manufacturers that they,
0: that there are residual fluorocarbons, not from any wax, but from other parts of the manufacturing process. Uh And so depending on the, again, that threshold or that tolerance for um, test precision, you end up with the potential for a brand new ski that's never been waxed before at all to test positive for a, for having,
2: huh,
0: fluorocarbons, yeah, so, I think there's a lot of, uh, oh, there's some challenges to overcome,
1: definitely, and, yeah,
0: and I don't know, uh, I don't know enough about it to say how you overcome that in a way that will ever be applicable to a U- U14 race in, <laughs> northern vermont council yeah or tri-state or you know yeah any of that um
1: well because because it, it, well if you if you look at simple equipment rules that are already in place like the 50 mil- millimeter stack height, so like from the base of your ski to where your boot you know clicks in that right. has to be 50 millimeters the width of the ski i mean there's a there's a ton of different um parameters that a ski has to fit but it only gets tested um, and regulated um, at World Cups, Europa Cups, sometimes Europa Cups just for like the top three and World Juniors for maybe the top 10. But I've never been equipment tested at a NORAM. Um, I mean, certainly not in, in the youth like U14 level. So I'm guessing if this, if this testing really starts being enforced, it, it'll have to start at the World Cup and maybe we'll never get to uh, NORAMs or, or below.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know um, with NCAA that they did equipment every every time that NCAA's were in the East, mm-hmm. they would check stand height, and that's
1: NCAA like national championships, the, the national championships. Okay.
0: They would they would te- they'd have somebody in the finish corral testing stand height for every athlete that came across the finish line. Mm-hmm. When it was in the West, there was always random drug testing. Um, I mean, that's going back 15 plus years, but that was when I was working with the ski team at UVM, that was what, you know, that was what we experienced. Mm -hmm. I know, uh, at GMVS, we had Brian McLaughlin, current ski team member had a result, uh, in Aspen thrown out, um, because his stand height was too high.
1: And was that at Noram?
0: Yeah, that was okay. a Noram. Um, it was huh. a Noram Super G or a Noram Downhill. Um, so it doesn't, it's not like it doesn't ever happen, but mm-hmm. uh, I agree with you that it's not prevalent. Uh, and when we talk about going even below, so let's talk about what happens at the, you know, the U16, U14, U12, U10 level, the wax is not going to make or break a result. Yeah. The athlete who wins is going to make one fewer mistake than the athlete who is in second place. They, mm-hmm. There's so much diversity in skill set and athleticism at that level, at those lower levels, mm-hmm. that you want to make sure the skis are waxed and that they're tuned, uh, but you don't need to go hog wild because at the end of the day, the athlete is the biggest
2: variable yeah
0: and and i think there's even taking that a step further for older athletes the idea of training on what you race on so not having a trainer and a racer but pair one and pair two or one two and three yeah and cycling through so that your skis all feel the same well if fluoro creates this big jump in glide and you're training on hydrocarbons all week and then you, you know, put a high fluoro base wax on and an overlay on and your skis are that much faster
2: mm-hmm.
0: that's gonna counteract every your timing's off, everything's yeah. different than what you how you trained all week. And so I think there's any number of arguments to be made about why it's healthier for coaches, parents, athletes. No question that it's healthier for the environment. And if we can't come up with some easy litmus test that uh, is fair and reasonable in all of this, you mm-hmm. know, that doesn't require everybody buy brand new skis and that the manufacturers figure out how those skis need to be tested at zero... You know, we, yeah. we, can't be, we can't overcomplicate it. But yeah. I think it's, it's a fairly simple thing to say, yeah, you can spend more and, and you might see. We're not talking about a, in practice where we might talk about a five or, you know, a three and a half or five or 6% difference. When you take and put all those other variables in, in play, mm-hmm. it's minuscule. Yeah. If any if there's anything any benefit to be realized.
1: Because the skis are so much faster when you get on them for a race because you're not maybe used to that speed and and there's so you're many not, you, other variables. Right.
0: Right. You're not used to it. So you end up in the back seat and yeah. then and then you're making a recovery every third turn and you know or you're you know you're skidding or skiving at the top of of every third turn. Cuz
1: you're just going that split second faster
0: right yeah right and you're not used to it yeah if you train that way and we're accustomed to it then okay you know that's that's one yeah you know then we could have then we could move the conversation into the the health risks for for you your coach your parents yeah. uh, the environment
1: and not to mention the rules yeah and not to mention the fact that it's extremely expensive to train every single t- every single yeah, day on high floro. <laughs> right yeah right exactly Exactly. Uh, but now that you mentioned the health risks, I did want to talk about those because, um, we, we've, we've, there are act- legitimate studies. So I've done my research. Um, the actual gases, um, of, of the wax when you're burning it and maybe when it evaporates from groundwater, I'm not sure on that, but I know that the actual gas is a thousand times more potent than carbon dioxide. So, even though there are few people in the world, um, ironing, um, you know, using high fluoro wax compared to driving a car that's a thousand times more potent. So that's not great for the environment. Um, and then the, the, the worst thing for the environment is the fact that the chemicals do, you know, they get laid in the snow when you ski. And then that snow melt goes down the mountain, goes into streams and rivers and groundwater And so it affects not only our own water um, that we drink, but also any water for wildlife. And studies have shown um, links to a damaged immune system in children. Um, They have shown links to increased incidence of cancer um, and uh, links to uh, compromised female fertility um, and delayed time to conception, and so that was um, I'm gonna cite these so you guys know it's uh, Grand John at all 2012, Bonefell Jorgensen at all 2011, and Fell at all 20 or 2009. Um, and so I found that on the MIT Technology Review. Um, so the literature is there, and um, so needless to say, not it affects us and uh, you know the environment. So it seems... So in my opinion, it seems like the smart choice, and Todd, it seemed like you were saying the same thing, is there's no harm in in getting rid of Floros. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, you know, I've heard any number of arguments as to why we
0: should get rid of them. Everything Mm -hmm. from you know, now it can be about the athletes, who's the best athlete, not who has the best prepared skis. Yeah, And I think on the Nordic side, that's maybe more relevant than on the Alpine side. I think... As you mentioned, there's now some pretty clear science um, that suggests if we can not only minim- minimize direct exposure, but uh, also reduce the amount of this stuff that we're putting into the world, mm-hmm. that um, everybody's better for it.
2: Yeah. And then,
0: you know, there's a the practical uh, cost benefit of, of it. Is it
2: worth doing? And I think. Yeah. For younger athletes, the
0: the answer there is a pretty resounding no. Yeah. And um, but it's yeah I mean that's it's been that way. I've been an advocate of it from that sort of practical perspective for a long time, and mm. some people get it and some people don't.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So what would the best alternatives to Floro be? Are there? I know Swix is working on something called like Future Sarah. What? Yeah, Swix, and it, I mean it's interesting to point
0: out that prior to all of this EPA debacle with Swix, and mm. and you know I don't have a dog in the in the fight with them, but uh, in their defense, they were moving towards a 2022 rollout of a completely floral-free wax lineup okay. anyway, um, and so they've worked really hard to not only do what they need to do to achieve task compliance, but also continue to move towards, um, uh, an early introduction of a fluoro-free lineup. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, chemically speaking, I, I, I cannot, I don't know to tell enough to tell you that, uh, you know, this is the chemicals that they're leaning on to provide the same level of, uh, water of, of hydrophobia. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we, I have worked a little bit with with a company out of California called Wend that uses a naturally derived uh, chemical called Meadow Foam from mm-hmm. flowers that grow primarily in Oregon as their chief um, water repellent additive. Mm-hmm. And we actually have done some glide testing to show that. Relative to some of the six-chain fluoros,
2: uh, that there that there are that there are things like metal Foam that do stack up just fine. Okay. In term in terms of performance, mm-hmm. um, what we had planned
0: to test at the end of March that got that we lost the ability to test was some of the the eight-chain fluoros the the novas, the seraph wow. um you know pure fluoro 100% fluoro overlays against some of this other stuff gotcha um so yeah i mean we did uh four rounds of glide testing um you know one of the reasons there's two aspects why i ha- have been involved in this enough to be able to speak with with some degree of knowledge. Mm-hmm. The first is, you know, Wintersteiger, the company that I work for, we're the global leader in racing service machinery. Mm-hmm. And that includes waxing machines like the Wax Future. And and we distribute a couple wax lines domestically. Mm-hmm. And so we had to go mm-hmm. through a uh, Tasca EPA process as well. And, and then I'm also just generally still interested in racing. Mm-hmm. And so we've been working on as part of our role as the racing leader, we've been working on glide testing. And a lot of our glide testing we've got our own fleet of skis, our own timing system. Mm-hmm. Um, part of what we were looking at this winter was wax. Mm-hmm. And establishing a baseline with existing waxes and then being able to test some stuff that was coming out and doing that on, a, on an independent basis not looking at it because we really aren't in the wax game mm-hmm. we were going to manufacturers and providing an independent way to test and see where everybody was stacking up mm-hmm. and so we saw some stuff that, from different from different companies uh, that are newer to the market, that was good. We saw some stuff uh, from existing companies that was good or really good. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw some stuff from existing companies that was really bad. Huh. New stuff that was seemed to go in the wrong direction. Gotcha. Um,
1: and so you've basically been out there testing all of these different wax companies.
0: Yeah, I mean, we had wax from six different companies Mm -hmm. that we um, tested this winter. Gotcha. And all over the country, Mm -hmm. not just at the same place every time. So, trying to get obviously the more data we have, the better we can make statements about X, Y, or Z. Gotcha. Um, Yeah. So, we're trying to we're trying to get there. And again, we're trying to do it on an independent basis. We don't really have a, we don't have a, a dog in the hunt. So mm-hmm. it doesn't matter to me, uh, whether, you know, an existing brand blows the doors off all the newcomers. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, you know, we're using all of our data, um, uh, to help, the process for all of these companies we're not going out there
1: Got it. so you're doing not, this for the company's sake
0: uh yeah i mean there it lends credibility to us as as the leader the global leader in racing uh-huh. um and we also use it to you know we have this glide that we have a fleet of glide test skis that allow us to um also build and develop and and hone in on Structures for for various parts of the country in various different conditions
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, But we also you know as a uh, Partner to racing in general, you know, it's good to have an idea of what's going on out there and Yeah, though we don't sell wax if we want to be in the business of helping our retail partners who are Racing focused put out the best product. We need to know what's running the best
2: Gotcha.
1: So this is a great segue because it sounds like you. There's so many myths in ski racing, um, and 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 especially like waxing and tuning. And you guys seem to have the most controlled environment to test some things. So, like I'm curious. There's a lot of liquid wax these days, and you basically just rub it on the skis, and and then brush them when it dries, and they're good to go. As opposed to waxing it on, um, you, which is better, is. Is liquid wax actually work?
0: So it's interesting. I I've been uh, talking about liquid wax a bunch this past season, mm-hmm. and leading up to I would say the first round of wax specific glide testing that we did in January, um, I was definitely very skeptical. Mm-hmm. I didn't um, I didn't foresee liquids having the same durability i couldn't
1: wrap my head around it and dur- uh, and by durability you mean like the ability to keep a ski from like getting burnt right or like drying you know, out from
0: getting burnt or from or continuing to provide the same level of of performance not mm. being stripped away by the friction gotcha. between the base and of the ski and the snow
2: mm-hmm. and uh,
0: somebody, I, I don't remember who it was, but somebody said something to me last summer, which was, you know, look at, uh, look at Top Coat F11 and all of these other nanotechnology spray bottle wax companies mm-hmm. for cars and boats and RVs that have popped up on the radar in the last year. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're doing something right. And so, the, I think that the potential is there for liquid wax. Uh-huh. I think that in the testing that we did, we saw some very promising results. We also
2: saw some just terrible, terrible, okay. way off the back um, gotcha. results. But I think when, especially having spent so much time working on skis for the East Coast, base burn is always such a significant concern yeah and it's
0: challenging because base material is high density polyethylene which is a fancy it's its chemical name for what is amounts to plastic it's a mm-hmm. type of plastic and or it's high molecular weight polyethylene
2: mm-hmm. but
0: it's plastic And with every heating and cooling cycle, plastic becomes more brittle. And you can tweak it so that it loses a little bit less, loses less resiliency and becomes less brittle with each heating and cooling cycle. But you're still generally trending in that direction.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So every time you iron wax in to make the base, uh, more or less susceptible to base burn you actually are also making it more brittle making it making it more brittle which means it's more susceptible so you have this this very um this curve where the return on investment of taking the time to iron wax into your skis you you reach a point of diminishing return pretty quickly
1: gotcha so, and so could liquid wax in that scenario actually be helpful for for keeping absolutely. the base I, not as brittle?
0: Absolutely, assuming that the durability is there to function um, to reduce friction.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, yes, because you're not heating and cooling. Gotcha. Right. You're yeah. you're applying a liquid. You're not um, and and assuming also that it's not there isn't anything in there that would otherwise alter the base material to make it more brittle. Yeah. So I think there is absolutely promise from that. Never mind that it's markedly easier to apply.
1: Yeah, way right? easier. I love this stuff.
0: Yeah. yeah. I mean it Saves it's, time. It's faster, you don't know, you know, you're not chasing an outlet, you can do it anywhere. Um, yeah, there's yeah a lot of
1: A lot of upside to it. Yeah. So, I, there's so, as I said before, there's so many myths in ski racing tuning, but, I one I wanted to, um, while you're here, I wanted to ask you about was, um, when you grind the base of a ski, um, does, people have said, oh, never, never grind a speed ski because it takes out all the wax. Is that true? Does a speed ski get slower when you grind it?
0: So, uh, I, the answer to that is not straightforward. Um, okay. It's not binary. It's mm-hmm. gray. So if you take a, a speed ski that's three seasons old, that's been lovingly waxed and run in and cared for nicely, and but it hasn't been restructured in a long time, and you've, through the course of... Waxing scraping brushing skiing have worn the base material down to a point where you don't have much discernible structure
1: Where You can't really see the lines of the grind
0: Yeah, and yeah. then you go to very wet conditions and expect that ski to be the fastest on the hill Well, you do have a leg up, right? The ski's been run in the mm. bases are really at a microscopic level are really smooth There's mm. no um hairs to grab onto anything. The peaks and valleys of the structure are nice and rounded and smooth. Mm-hmm. But is it as fast as it could be? No, definitely not, because yeah. the structure then is not matched to the snow conditions. Mm-hmm. So in that scenario, you could take a ski and regrind it and just by way of having New structure that's appropriate for the snow conditions. Mm-hmm. You could be as fast, if not faster, right out of the gate. Gotcha. Um, I will say that by removing material, you definitely are removing um, amorphous space in that base material that was holding on to wax. There's no question about
1: that. Okay, so you're losing a little bit of that of that. Uh, yes, work but you've you're done. Not,
0: you're not the the, the, grinding, the grinding fluid itself is not a wax stripper. It's not like you're using citrus wax remover yeah. to strip everything out of there. Um, you know, there's also that fluid um, is not always clean. Um, even if it's being changed regularly, there's residual... Um,
1: the fluid any, in the grinding machine.
0: The fluid itself in the grinding gotcha. machine. And yeah. so... Keeping, uh, so you know, having that on the base, yeah, you're adding, you know, you're flattening the ski, you're blanking the ski, you're adding structure back to it. You do then need to make sure that you're cleaning any residual gunk from the from the grinding fluid out. Gotcha. And you can you can do that with um you know with a hot scrape. You can do it with a with a base cleaner. You can do it with, and there's you know there's any number. Um, you know, it could be a, a swift citrus cleaner. It could be a wind cleaner conditioner.
1: Gotcha. So two, th- two things I want to touch on here to summarize what you just said. Um, you, It's important to clean a ski after it's been ground. And you said a little earlier, it, it seems like a deeper grind is better in wet snow.
0: Yeah, for sure. I, I mean, mean, if you have wet snow, you're going to be – you need uh, – to be moving moisture off the ski faster mm-hmm. and coupling a deeper grind that can accommodate more moisture movement and a, in the past, a high floral wax
2: mm-hmm.
0: will do the best job. Gotcha. Okay. Um, if you took a, you know, uh, if you took a ski and, and freshly ground it and put a nice deep grind on it, and then you went up to Sugarloaf for speed week at the end of January when the snow was minus 25 Celsius. Yeah. Uh, you might as well be trying to parafill. I mean, you're never you're <laughs> okay. going to be so far off the bat. Okay. Um, so that's why it's gray. Is gotcha. Snow conditions really matter, and it's about um, the grind is about moisture management. Gotcha. So and, and so okay. it works in concert with the with the wax that you're using, whether it's a floral wax or not.
1: Gotcha. So it sounds, so as you said, it's gray and there's, and there's tons of qualifiers and, and reasons to grind reasons to not grind. Um, so I like that it's a complicated answer because it seems like most of the myths and misconceptions of ski racing, um, are just complicated answers. And so for my last question, um, it's, it's a question that has a gazillion answers. Um, what makes a super fast speed ski? What, like what made DDA Kush's skis so fast when he was winning everything? Like what what is it at the end of the day? Um okay, so,
0: really <laughs> the, so the short the, the canned short technician answer here is mm-hmm. DDA Kush made DDA Kush's skis so fast. Okay. Right? The athlete is the fastest and the slowest thing that can can go on the skis. Um now that being said um when we talk about what makes them super fast, um, I think there's some some key pieces that it boils down to.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh starting off with consistent and it almost all of it's related to consistency. So it starts off with consistency in the manufacturing process. Um that the base materials came from the same supplier or even the same roles, right? I mean, you can have skis that are made at the same exact time, uh, and things like the base material used can dictate whether a ski is the fastest in the world or just absolutely dog slow. Mm -hmm. And there's no real rhyme or reason to that. Um, it's sort of an intangible, but consistency in manufacturing uh, consistency in, in how the skis are, are prepared and used every day if you think about uh, the ability to max for an athlete to maximize what they and, and their skis can do and how fast they can go they've got to be comfortable they've got to feel like they're pushing the envelope but that, they're th- that their threshold for control is higher than than the next person mm-hmm. and that for them to get be dancing on that line of out of control that they're at 105% where everybody else is at 100 so that means day in day out every training run the skis have to be consistently prepared so that they like we were talking about with hydrocarbons all week and high flow on the weekends you want everything to be consistent so that it is reproducible and feels the same day in and day out mm mm-hmm. Um, from there, it becomes about care of the skis. It becomes, you know, that they are, um, ground when they need to be ground, uh, that they are, um, rotated through that. They don't, you know, that they always have wax on them. Mm-hmm. It's the basics. There's no yeah. silver bullet. It's, mm-hmm. you know, I say this all the time. I mean, um. Uh, Kush's technician when he was so successful was an American and a GMBS alum named Chris Kraus. Chris runs an Alpine workshop, an Alpine tuning center for uh, DSV for the German Ski Federation now. Mm-hmm. And Chris was part of the reason. I mean, there's no shortcuts. There's no, you know, there's no silver bullet. Chris was in the ski room working his tail off from you know, when the work started to when the work needed to be finished. And, um, that played a, that played a role. I don't think you need to be in the ski room 24 hours a day, but Mm -hmm. when you, you know, when they're due a double session training day and there's twice as many skis to work on, you've got twice as long to work in the ski room. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think the consistency there, if you want to talk about the detailed pieces Well, one of the reasons why we need to talk about getting skis
1: ground is because bevels impact how fast or or slow you can go. Yeah, the angle Uh, of the the base edge.
0: Yeah, exactly. And Mm -hmm. so uh, you need to periodically look. uh, You should be regularly checking that, but periodically looking at resetting that so Mm -hmm. that uh, your skis can be as precise as you need them to be. Mm -hmm. Um, So you've got... Things like base bevel angle to look at, uh, you know, scraping, you know, waxing, scraping, brushing, running skis in. I mentioned before, it takes that that sharp peak structure and rounds things over. It takes hairs out of the base so that everything's. We're reducing the amount of friction that's created between the ski and the snow before mm. we even do anything like adding
2: wax to it to further uh, manage, you know, further improve glide. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: there's a uh, lot to it, huh? And it it involves the, it it all involves the edges too. Um,
0: yeah, for sure. I mean, edges, sidewalls, if you, you know, smoothing sidewalls again, it's like anything that could possibly touch the snow. You want to try and do everything that you can to make it as smooth as possible. Yeah.
1: So Um, for, um, (laughs) <laughs> for the kids going into, uh, you know, for fist athletes next year who will not be able to use Floros, um, I've heard, you know, what seems to be a, uh, uh, something that, that everyone does on the World Cup, you know, as a wax technician, they get tons of layers of wax in the skis. And so my question is, for the kids, um, for anybody who, who is, will be not allowed to use Floros next season is it possible that they can just put a bunch of layers of fluoros in their skis this summer?
0: I mean, again, I, so that goes back to what the testing is going to look like uh-huh. um, and whether there will be any. So I, I have a hard time answering that with a yes or a no. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, as I mentioned before, there is a point of diminishing return with, uh, especially a hot application or a hot iron application of wax uh, to your skis in terms of making them more brittle. You also are effectively moving, adding heat like that. You're moving you're moving the base. So you take something that's totally flat mm-hmm. and totally in-plane, and you iron it over and over and over and ski on it, even just a little bit, and you're going to end up with something that's not completely flat. Huh. And so there, you know, you definitely need to be mindful of that. So given the unknown of what testing looks like, I, I would probably steer clear of load, of loading florals into a ski this summer. Okay. I mean, especially I think it's your time is better spent figuring out with, you know, your coach um, or, you know, one of your coaches whoever it is that you can connect with, your time's probably better spent working on one or two aspects of your skiing Mm -hmm. that will yield fewer
2: mistakes, (laughs) that will make you a stronger skier. There you go. Um, Than than doing something like that. I'm not going
0: to say that if you did that, that you wouldn't run into a situation maybe where the stars aligned and your skis were rocket ships, but... um, are you going to be able to realize the benefit of that? That's an open question.
1: Yeah, well, I like the fact that you always put it back on the athlete, and at the end of the day, it is the athlete. Because I, I knew a tech once who uh, he worked for he worked for Lindsay and Julia when they were winning at Lake Louise, and he always said that he won Lake Louise five times, um, <laughs> and he, and that was the that was the terminology he used. Um, so um, I appreciate all of the um everything all of the information all of the conversation i think this was really helpful for anybody who's listening because there are so many myths and misconceptions and and questions that people have about this stuff um and hopefully we were able to answer some and provide some information um and so my only my only thing is um i always uh ask guests if they have anything they want to plug or if there's any um, Project you're working on, or, or anything you want to advertise?
0: Oh, uh, sorry. I mean, I would sum things up by saying, when it comes to equipment and and ski and ski racing, I've been an advocate for a long time of the idea that your equipment is a is one piece of a much larger success equation, and the success piece is individual. Everybody's got their own yardstick for measuring success, mm-hmm. and the objective is to minimize equipment as a variable. Mm -hmm. You're never going to be able to totally eliminate it, but you also have a thousand other variables that are going to contribute to the success or not.
2: Mm -hmm. So I would um, caution, I would would suggest that people keep it in perspective. I
0: think it's really important. That said, make sure that when you are doing anything to help minimize those that equipment as a variable that you're using uh partners that are legitimate and authentic to racing there are plenty of um, ski shops uh, suppliers um tool machinery and tool companies who all talk a big game when it comes to racing uh and And don't have the bona fides and Mm -hmm. so the same way that you can go on the internet and spend 90 seconds to find primary source citation information for fluorocarbons being dangerous for the environment and for the human body Mm -hmm. do a little digging to find out what's the background of the person who's telling you that they were on the US ski team and now they're turning skis at those at, you know, your local shop and they can take care of you or Yeah, you so know, use
1: man. the internet as a resource.
0: Yeah, I mean yeah. just do your homework. Don't yeah. you know listen, we live in a we live in a world where people say whatever they want and it doesn't seem like there are many consequences anymore. And so if you're trying to achieve success, then take the extra minute to figure out whether what you're you know who you're talking to or what you're faced with that seems too good to be true yeah maybe it really maybe it is too good to be true yeah
1: and you because because a lot of these rumors about tuning you know i would i was just down i'd be down in the basement at gmvs when i was younger and someone would say um oh you know like um make sure you like you spend as much time uh with the iron on your base as possible and then everyone would start thinking that, and next thing you know, your base is brittle. So it's there's a lot out there, and and making sure you do your due diligence is important. Um, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and on my last question, I, I forgot. I always ask the guess. Um, I think I know your answer, but Eastern Mountains or Western Mountains? Oh man, um, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go east, but
0: not East Coast U.S. I'd like to ski in the Sudtirol. I'm, I'm gonna uh-huh. go East European, okay. Central. You know, I I like skiing over there more than just about any place else. Gotcha. Although I did ski, I did ski at the Yellowstone Club this winter for the for the first time in like fifteen years, mm-hmm. and had forgotten. It's pretty epic there.
1: It's pretty epic out uh, West, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. But if it was, if it's just in the U.S., would your final answer be that it would be Vermont Eastern Mountains? Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah. I'm a Vermonter at heart. Yeah. I'm, I am I am a Vermonter, but I'm also I maybe mean, go
1: go somewhere and still can appreciate how great it is a uh. Yeah. Despite the rain. <laughs> yes, despite the rain. Uh-huh.
0: There's,
2: yeah. Yeah. There's
1: plenty of that to go around in the east these days. Yep. Yeah. Well Todd, um I appreciate the time and uh, uh maybe you'll be on again soon. I'm sure people will have more questions.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much for having me and- Look forward to talking to you again soon.
1: If you liked that, make sure to message me about it. And uh, if you have any more questions, which I'm sure you do, these conversations tend to just stir up more questions. And really, it's an endless debate. So uh, let me know if you have more questions and if you want uh, another technician on the show um, we can make that happen. Before we get to Bub from Sugarloaf, um, I, I'm i not sure if it's his real name, but um, he's been bugging me for a while. He wants to get on the show, so I figured I'd l- take the call. Before then, I want to talk to you quickly about the sponsors of the show. So we've got Sync Performance, which if you listen to the show, if you're a loyal listener, you know it is high-quality stuff. It is made For ski racers, by ski racers, tested by ski racers. Jackets, pants, backpacks, you name it. That's S-Y-N-C, performance.com, syncperformance.com. Use the podcast code SRPODCAST20. That's SRPODCAST20 for 20% off your next purchase. There's worldproskitour.com, worldproskitour.com. Go there for your ski racing fix, high-octane, parallel, dual, March Madness format slalom. Oh, right on cue. We're getting a call from our, our guy. Let's pick it up. Hey, hey is, is this Bub? Yeah. So, Bub, you say you're from Sugarloaf, Maine. Is that right? Yeah. And uh, you're pretty enthusiastic about ski racing, from what I understand. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that's the reason you. I mean, you've been trying to get a hold of me for a while. You want to be on the show. Yeah. So I'm guessing you've listened to a lot of the other episodes. Yeah. Was there anything in particular you wanted to
0: talk about, Bob? Or?
1: Yeah. Some days on Sugarloaf, you can't feel your toes all day. It's 40-mile-an-hour winds like you wouldn't believe. Oh, I know. I've been there. Salt of the earth, Zurgelof is. Anyway, thanks for the call. Oh, how I missed the East Coast drawl. Well, that just about wraps up the show. Um, oh, you know, if you missed it, Michaela Schiffer interviewed me on the U.S. Ski Team Instagram page. It was a great interview, and... Several times I plugged ski racing this week, right in her face. She couldn't She couldn't mistake it, but she kind of gave me the cold shoulder, and I DM'd her, followed up on it, and I haven't heard back. It says seen on the DM. I don't think that's a good thing. So the hunt continues. Don't call it a hunt. That's not a good thing. Anyway, but right now I need sleep and rest, and until then... Next Thursday, that is. I'm Jimmy Krupka. This is Ski Racing this week. Ski Racing Media's official podcast. Ski you later.